Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. All right, and rolling on to episode 126 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest is Allie Gleason. Allie is a lacrosse coach at St. Andrews School in Florida. She was also a lacrosse player at Siena College and was a team captain her senior year. Topics included on today's podcast include challenges coaches and educators face in the youth sports environment, why it's okay for schools to act like a business because they need money to survive, but how we can't let that drive us away from the vision of developing students, and how she learned what a player-led culture was like as a varsity lacrosse player in high school. Allie is incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to the educational side of development, We talk so much about that, some of the challenges that we face, especially at the K-12 level in athletics today and in the future, but we also spend a great deal of time talking about culture and her commitment to developing player-led teams. Allie grew up in the central New York area, much as I did. She went to school at Fayetteville Manlius and played for a legendary lacrosse coach, Kathy Taylor, who now coaches at Colgate University. And so we talk so much about what she learned from growing up and playing in that environment in high school. We talk about courage, strength, heart. (laughs) Allie tells a great story about how she uses The Wizard of Oz, which for those who don't know, The Wizard of Oz, creator of that movie, was born in Chittenango, right outside of Syracuse, right around the area that both Allie and I grew up. And so she tells us about how she uses that story to relate with her players. And for those who haven't seen The Wizard of Oz or don't know the story, it's much about a journey than it is anything else. So for Allie to be able to connect the journey portion of competition is a super powerful analogy that she gets to use by connecting that. We also talk about how difficult it is to build a great culture with distractions. And finally, we talk about how we can relearn the meaning of commitment. Allie has taken a strong focus on this specifically, and she talks about how it takes time, patience, and failure. It's like starting a business. You're not going to be a $100 million revenue business overnight. And if somebody says they are, they're probably lying to you. And in the sports world, if you go from zero to first really quickly, it can be very difficult to sustain that. So there is so much good information in this podcast episode, and I'm super excited to share it with you. Allie is a wealth of knowledge. So let's dive right in and let's discover our talent altitude here is my talk with Allie Gleason. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest on the line is Allie Gleason. Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Colin. Absolutely. I am thrilled to have a fellow Syracusean, I guess is the word for it, but somebody who has relocated much like I have. You are down in Florida, but instead of me telling your life story and spoiling it all, why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the listening audience. So please tell us, who are you? Yeah. So my name is Ali Gleason. I 
am originally from Manlius, New York, which is a suburb outside of Syracuse. And I grew up always playing sports. Um, you know, I played, I did indoor track, I played soccer, I played volleyball. Um, and my main sport was lacrosse. Um, and honestly, a lot of my experiences and pretty much all my experiences in sports have kind of contributed to who I am today. I ended up moving to Florida. You know, I went to college. I played Division One lacrosse all through college at Siena College in Loudonville, New York. And then I moved to Florida in 2013 to do my MBA. I went to grad school down here and I started coaching at uh, St. Andrews School. It's a JK through 12 uh, college preparatory school in Boca Raton, Florida. And I've been coaching here ever since for the past six, seven years now. I coach soccer, I coach lacrosse. And as I said at the beginning, you know, one of my main experiences in high school is we were the state champions um, on my high school lacrosse team a few years in a row. And my biggest leader at that point in time was my head coach of the lacrosse team, Coach Kathy Taylor. And um, I've kind of kept everything she's ever taught me, not just about lacrosse, but about life in my in the back of my mind. It's what's really kind of motivated me to keep on going with everything I've done. And it's what's kind of inspired me to become a coach, which is why I'm currently still doing that. And in addition to that, in the coaching world, I also work at the school in the athletic department and I'm an advisor in the upper school here. I did just recently complete my doctorate degree in educational leadership. And that's mainly because, you know, I was more, I was a finance major in college. And then, like I said, I got my MBA. And so I wanted to have a little bit of somewhat credentials in um, the educational sector. So I went for that, did that. And I'm very intrigued with how kids and youth sports and everything like that is developing nowadays as we live in such a different culture, even from when I was just a kid. And I graduated high school in 2007, so it wasn't that long ago, but it's just crazy with how much technology has advanced and more pressures from every which angle these kids are developing and growing and they're just becoming, it's, it's harder to train them. It's harder to get them to be where I was at by the time I got to college and everything like that. But that's where I came from. Sure. And I want to echo the fact that 2007 is not that far away because that is also the year yeah. that I graduated high school. So anyone who thinks yeah. that you and I are old, they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to start the rest of this conversation with an interesting point that you just made towards the end of your introduction there and talk a little bit about the children, youth, sports development, that whole scene. And obviously you're right in the middle of it as a coach. You're also in a way seeing it from the outside as an advisor. So can you talk to me just a little bit about where that passion started and what are some of the talking points that when, when we bring up the development and all of the challenges that we're talking about these days in youth sports, what, what are some of the main talking points? So you just kind of look at our culture right now. Um, there's several various cultural factors in this century, in this day and age that affect the way our kids are developing really from the time they're born um, you know, you see parents out to dinner nowadays, you see little kids, babies out to dinner and they're holding an iPad or holding a phone, watching a video <laughs> and all the way up through adolescence, all the way up through adulthood. Even now, you know, we're, we're guilty of it our, ourselves. We're always on the phone, always on the computers, always engaged somehow, some way in um, digital media. And so I think the excessive use, especially by adolescents, because I coach, like I said, I coach high schools in particular. So the excessive use of technology by adolescents in particular is really affecting the way their brains develop. It's causing the structure and the function of their brains to develop differently than it did for adolescents in years past, as well as just all the other cultural factors, such as, you know, parents are more involved in a lot of different aspects of their kids' lives now, more so than they were a few decades or so ago. In addition to the college admission process, it's much more competitive now, today, even when it was when I was going to college just eight years ago or so. Sure. Academic pressures, just chronic stress, everything solely focused on academics, getting into college, doing the right thing, 
to be able to progress in the real world and in society and be successful financially rather than there's not a lot of focus on personal development, I feel, as much as there should be at least in at least in the JK through 12 system. It's very minimal. You know, you see programs like physical education programs. A lot of people, the traditional perception of that is that it is kind of obsolete and we have parents go against it as well as students. They don't want to participate in it anymore. They, but these are the, those types of curriculums where they're, um, you know, physical education, health curriculums. They, I see a way where they can be a little bit more innovative. You know, again, it is the 21st century, so I see where they're coming <laughs> from. But we need to still instill our kids with those, the knowledge and skills that comes from those sort of curricula relative to just, well, developing basic motor skills as well from an early age, as well as that brain development. It really helps their brain development, helps them, and even recess, things like recess are are dying down. Um, Elementary schools are even cutting recess here and there. I read an article the other day um, that was about risk play, and kids just, kids innately know their level of risk and they know how much they risk they can actually tolerate so when they go out and when they have that chance to go out and play on the monkey bars and hang upside down and they have that chance to stand up for themselves if it's some sort of bullying thing um, or whatever it is when they're just engaging with other kids on their own without constant supervision and structure around everything they're able to um, develop those kind of life skills for themselves they're able to be able to advocate for themselves they're able to communicate face to face again and not have to just like hide behind their phones they're able to defend themselves they're able to realize that they can take a risk take a chance and that actual growth comes from it and even if they fall down I teach yoga as well here at the school even if they fall down I tell my class all the time get back up again you have to learn to get back up again you're never going to get better at something if you just sit and sulk because you failed I always use the quote with my players and my um classes fail stands for f-a-i-l stands for uh first attempt in learning I think that's something that we've kind of gotten away from. You know, you read about it all the time when you read about leadership, when you read about development and all of that, but it's not something we really instill in our kids because we don't allow them to develop that knowledge on their own from partaking in their own experiences so much anymore. Sure. And it's so interesting that things like recess getting cut, for example, as you mentioned, it brings to me, at least, it, it points out a lot of the same issues that we have in the corporate world where there's all this science and there's all this evidence that says you shouldn't work like an eight hour straight day because it's counterintuitive to the work that you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of those same type of studies out there that say, especially for kids, that recess, a break like that, a physical activity break like that is something that is so good for them. Yet we see schools more and more cutting it out. Right. What are the motives behind that? Like how how do you explain to a school district or to parents, how do you explain the reasoning behind limiting those opportunities to develop as you just talked about? And, And that's not, and those are like the easy ones, right? Like that's not even to bring someone in from the outside and, and have to pay them to structure a program together or something like that. This is just let them out on the monkey bars, let them run and play kickball, whatever it is. Why are these things happening if the science is telling us that we should be doing it? Yeah. Well, you know, I have sort of a unique perspective because I've never, I went to public school, but I've never actually worked in a public school. As I said, I've worked here for seven years now, and um, this is a private independent school. And so a lot of my perspective has been from just that, being a private independent school. However, I do, you know, I have many colleagues and friends that work and have worked in the public sector. And no matter what, the the problem, one of the ultimate problems is that education, at least K through 12, is a business. And that's okay to some degree. However, I feel, especially at a private at private schools, um, we lose that balance of business versus education. We there, we tend to lose sight of the ultimate purpose of education. We are focused solely on the business. It kind of reminds me of you know older types of corporations where 
it's just from top down and it's just about, I don't want to say making money necessarily because we're a non-for-profit and everything, but we need money to have us, you know, to have all these advanced technologies in our classrooms and to be able to um, give our kids what they do deserve. But at the same time, um, we lose sight of the end product that we actually really want to ultimately accomplish. I mean, I thought it was interesting. I was actually listening to something um, about Steve Jobs the other night. And one of the things that really we all can see, it's quite apparent that he was so ruthless with his vision. And this article was talking about how he never lost sight, never lost focus of his vision. He took every step. He made sure he was taking the proper steps to get to that vision every step of the way, the entire journey. And everything was focused and just constantly around that vision. Yet when we have visions as whatever it is, whether it's an educational institution, a higher ed institution, K through 12, private school, um, or like a a real corporation, a lot of companies like have visions but they're just a bunch of flowery words and it's kind of a lot of fluff where decisions aren't necessarily made to reach that vision. So I think one of the ultimate problems with the educational system in general is that every institution has somewhat of a vision and we say we want kids to be able to develop the knowledge and skills, to be able to um, advocate for themselves in the real world, to be able to participate as active global citizens in the real world, and to be able to do all of these awesome things that, yes, of course we want them to do, but then a lot of our decisions made on an institutional level are not necessarily geared towards that. They're more geared towards just our institution. Um, And I think that's a really hard thing to kind of balance out. But hopefully, I think that's one of the biggest things that school leaders, especially um, when you're looking at innovation and education, school leaders need to take a little bit deeper of a look at in the sense that we're serving the country, the world's future. And we need to make sure we're making decisions that are going to get them to be that vision. I love that. And it's so interesting when you said that education is a business, it reminded me of the TV show Scrubs, which I, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a great show. And there's one episode in particular where I think it's Dr. Cox and JD are, it's the ultimate struggle throughout the entire series. Like how much of a business is the hospital and how much of a just caring for people and doing the right thing is a yep. hospital. And there's yep. always that, that tug that, they try to figure out throughout the course of the series. And it just made me think, and it's almost like to your point, it shouldn't be about that, but in some ways it has to be because like you said, to get the advanced technologies, you need money for that. You need resources, you need funds. So to a certain extent, I just wish we were able to find a little bit more of a balance because I tend to agree with that assessment that I think we've started to tip the scales a little bit too far towards the business model and less towards what's actually best for the development of kids. Yeah. And you know, it's really kind of, it was triggered by SATs and college um, competition for college admission and SAT scores, ACT scores, all of that, those money-making things, standard, all types of standardized tests, Mm -hmm. all of those money-making things um, that really have kind of geared educators and leaders in education to be more so about meeting the common core standards, meeting these expectations so that these kids can do this well. And of course we want that, but when we overcompensate in that aspect and we forget about the person, the humanity behind all of this and how that needs to be balanced and put together along with their intellectual skills and knowledge and everything like that, then then that's where we lose sight of it. That's what's, that's what's tough is, you know, the industry in general has become a business as a whole. And so we need to, we need, I think we really need educational or leaders in education to be able to see that that balance is needed and make changes moving forward so that we can educate the whole child holistically. Let's dive back into your athletic experiences to help give us more context into some of the opinions that you have, some of the expertise that you're dishing out as well. I think I remember when we first connected, you telling me somewhat of a story where lacrosse didn't really come around very seriously until a little bit later. 
in your amateur career. Is that accurate? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. I mean, I've played it since fourth grade, but I didn't make the varsity team or I first tried out for the varsity team when I was a sophomore and that's where it became a little bit more serious for me. So did you, did you end up playing that sophomore year varsity or JV? Yep. So I tried out my sophomore year. It was very rare for sophomores at our high school to make the varsity team. It was really mainly juniors and seniors on the varsity team because we were pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, They had won the state championship a couple years in a row prior to me making that squad. And so, you know, I was, I was so excited about it, but at the same time I was really nervous, but I looked at it. I always looked at it as an opportunity to just be able to grow a little bit further. Um, All my friends were on JV at the time. So I was, I was nervous about it, but I think that was a huge step for me in overcoming some of the fears that I had because I was a newer player. I wasn't up to level up to the same level of play as the varsity players were. Sure. And for people who don't know, we'll just set the scene a little bit. The Syracuse area is truly a lacrosse hotbed. A lot of great lacrosse players come from the Syracuse area. So when Allie talks about the competition being real high, it's not just at her high school. It's pretty much across the board in the area. And and it makes for really interesting conversation because – One of the things that just stood out, and and this is something that I struggled with as well. So I got called up to JV my freshman year of baseball and skipped over freshman. All my friends that I've been playing with for years and years played freshman ball. And I really struggled looking back on it now with that transition, probably more than anything else. The competition level a little bit, but not being with my peers that I had been around for so long really messed with me when I was 15 years old. And you had talked about that was at least something in consideration when you were thinking about making that leap a year later. Talk to me a little bit about that. And, and then we can get maybe into a deeper conversation about the competition level and how that raised your game and raised your level of how serious you were taking everything to take this to the next level. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, you know, it's funny because whenever anyone talks about varsity lacrosse in my first year on it as a sophomore, I think I was one of three, three sophomores only on the team that year. I remember we were in line drills warming up and I had, you know, I was doing fine. I gave a pass to a girl and then I just stopped and walked to the end of the line. And I'll never forget just the simplest comment, but my coach yelled at me. She's like, Allie, it's called conditioning. Start running. You run to the end of the line. You run to the end of the line. And I was like, like I said, I was nervous. It was like the first week still. Um, I was officially on the team at this point, but it was all new to me. And I just, I was just kind of like, wow, really? (laughs) Um, And ever since then, I don't remember one time where I did not run to the end of the line. And I still use that little comment to my players today. Cause it just kind of instilled in me right away. Like, okay, what am I here for? I'm not going through the motions. I have to keep trying. I have to keep working. Um, there were things like that all the time. She would be so hard on us at times. And then she would be so nice to us at times. But the thing was when she was hard on us, like the whole varsity team, they just had this amazing culture from the second I stepped onto the field with them, this culture of, It was really all about the team working together. So no matter how hard your coach got on you, you had people to look up to. You had other people in um, different grades to talk to if you needed anything, to work with, stay after practice and work on shooting or passing and catching with your left hand or whatever it was. But every single person on that team was a leader in one way or another. Clearly, we had captains and everything like that still, but I couldn't even tell you who the captains were each year because every single person acted as a leader because they were all just so fully committed to the team and they respected her as a coach, as did I. You know, she was authoritative, but she was also inspirational. And so we all really just wanted to work for her. We wanted to make her proud. And then it became such a great bond between all of us in the sense that we wanted to make each other proud. We wanted to do something for ourselves. We wanted to be somebody. We wanted to be a a good team, um, a successful team. And so I think that culture, you know, it's not an easy culture to build. As I said, I'm a coach now and it's, it's hard, especially with um, so many different activities that these kids can do nowadays. 
so many different, you know, school trips and band and orchestra and all these different, all these different things that they have the opportunity to do, which they're very lucky and fortunate to have. But it's hard to, as a coach, to really get commitment from all ends, from all people every single day at one certain time. And then you have to build the cult, that type of culture on top of it. Um, and so I think the fact that we had that back then, that it was already kind of started the first couple of years, probably I'm assuming before I was on the team, it was probably from or triggered a lot by, uh, winning the state championships already. But, you know, it's interesting because we grew up in the town, um, next to where the author of the wizard of Oz grew up and, um, this is one of my favorite parts of this because it's also has stuck with me ever since. But we were coming back from an away game one time, the whole team, and we were on a bus and we were getting back kind of late. And my coach had us stop at this pizza shop, just a little pizza shop on the side of the road in the town of Wizard of Oz to um, to get dinner. And so we were all just sitting in there talking. And, you know, at that point in the season, we had had some hard losses to specifically West Jenny, who's another powerhouse in the Syracuse area. And we, but then the game we were coming from that day, we, you know, it was a pretty good upset. And I remember it was, we were on track to do good things. And this was where we were peaking. And so she kind of made this analogy where we were finally coming together. You know, we had the courage, we had the strength, we had the heart and the love for each other, as well as for the game now, like everything, all the little pieces were coming together to get us quote unquote home, like in the Wizard of Oz. Um, So that, you know, as silly as it may sound, the way she just portrayed it to us and the way it stuck with all of us that the rest of that season, she said it wasn't about like where we've been. It's about the entire journey along the way and how we respond to it and that's going to determine where we end up in the end and we ended up winning the state championship that year and so I've kind of always held that with me you know no matter what it is whether it's being in a doctoral program whether it's coaching a varsity team whether it's um, doing your actual day-to-day job in an administrative office whatever it is you're gonna have failures you're gonna have challenges you're gonna have obstacles to overcome and so I think using that, having that analogy, that sort of silly analogy in the back of my head of just like a little fairy tale type of story <laughs> is, um, is how everyone needs to look at it. Like you just got to put everything you have into what you want to accomplish. You got to have heart for it. You got to be brave and you got to be smart. You got to think, but you can do it and you can overcome these challenges. And in the end, don't think about, don't get down on yourself when you are failing or when you're encountering those obstacles and just notice at the end what you did overcome and appreciate the journey that you went on. Because no matter what, even if it's not the most successful outcome, you still grew in the process. You still learned, you still grew. And I think that's one of the most important lessons of life. And that's personally how I've continued to go about my life is I absolutely love learning. Like that's why I continued school for so long. I just, I feel like I can never learn enough. I can always know more. I'm passionate about learning um, different types of topics, different things. But when you learn, when you experience different things, when you open your mind to different things, you only have the opportunity to grow and become better and reach your potential. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today.
you know I share a lot of those same feelings towards learning. And I'm really glad that you shared that Wizard of Oz story because I think that is so cool and so powerful in a lot of different ways. Well, it's funny too because I, I actually carry the book with me in my lacrosse bag now and I share it with my team from time to time. You know, it's, it's, no, it's not the same and I don't want to reiterate exactly everything she said because it's not the same story. You got to, sometimes I try to find other stories and other ways to connect with my team, depending on the year. It's just for a different audience, right. but I do carry it with me and I brought it up a few times and I just kind of told them the story and I try to get them to see it, but it's funny because it's like, a lot of them have said to me, I've never seen or heard of that book before. <laughs> <laughs> and that just kind of tells you like where we are going as a society. Like they don't, of course they, you know, are exposed to some fairy tales and stories like this when they're younger, I'm sure, but it's just not enough. It's not as much as it used to be. And it's not to the point where I feel like it could be as instilled in them as it was for me. Right. And so I want to extend this part of the conversation because this is, this is something that I feel like I have conversations a lot with leaders or people ask me questions around this. So the way that I break it down usually is kind of to your point, when you're a kid, you're introduced to all these different fairy tales and different stories and you're told to use your imagination and you're developing and you're growing as a physical child. Right. And then we get to a certain age. I I always equate it to about age 12 or so when you're asked to write that essay, what do I want to be when I grow up? And if you put, I want to be a professional athlete or I want to be, I don't know, the president of the United States, the teacher, if, if they're so inclined, will either tell the student or tell the student's parents, uh, I think Johnny or I think Susie should maybe temper those expectations a little bit. And the first time you hear that type of feedback, you get that message in the back of your mind and you're like, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to reach for the stars anymore. Like, right. so the flip gets, the, the switch gets flipped down. Yep. And then at some point you have to have the self-awareness to flip it back on. And not everybody yeah. does that. And and it's very apparent in our society that there are a lot of folks out there that don't want to learn. They are not curious. Curious is the adult world word, excuse mm-hmm. me, for imagination. And I just wonder, like, how do we get more kids to flip that switch back up? Like, have realistic conversations with them? Yes, I, I do think that's important, but also help them understand that there is a lot out there that they can accomplish if they stretch themselves a little bit. And if they use that imagination that was so wild when they were a kid. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I'm going to bring that back to what I was saying at the beginning is it really starts with education and it it starts with education in their youth years and how we are educating them. They need to have things as silly as this may sound like it really does connect on a scientific scientific level in the sense that they need things like recess. They need things like playtime. They need um, to be exposed to these types of risky things in our society nowadays. They need um, physical education programs. And that's just a start, um, you know, and then there's people just talking to them, you know, like they have a lot of life coaches in higher ed institutions. Now you don't really see that so much in K through 12, you see more of just counseling, Mm -hmm. Um, but life coaches in general and just helping kids at every which way possible to develop themselves. And they just need to kind of have different types of experiences to be aware of that. But Go, the PE and the recess and all that stuff, what it actually does for them on a physiological level is it's changing the way their brains are functioning. As I said at the beginning, all of these cultural factors, such as excessive use of technology, um, more parental involvement, higher competition for college admission, more focus on academics and higher chronic stress levels. Um, All of that stuff is altering the way their brains are developing structurally as well as functioning. And the main part of their brain that has to do with executive functions is the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the last part of the brain that develops. They used to say that it develops like in your early 20s, then it became 25. And the most recent that I've read is that it's up to like 28, 29 now. Um, so there's like a delay in 
our brain development of the younger generation. And that development comes from playing and being on their own and being able to be face to face. And like I said, make decisions right on the bat rather than, okay, I have five minutes to respond via text. You're immediately, when you're talking to someone one-on-one and they're being mean to you or whatever it is, and you have to confront them right then and there, your brain has to respond right away. So those neural connections are adapting to be able to um, have a little bit more resilience and advocacy for yourself. That prefrontal cortex is, again, involves our executive functions. So time management, self-control, decision-making. Um, And this is really the part of the brain that helps us think about ourselves. It's what makes us humans and self-awareness, mindfulness, all of that type of stuff. That's what a lot of these kids are lacking nowadays um, because their brains are developing later on and they're not able to be as self-aware because, again, there's no real focus on them being self-aware in the educational system. It's just about academics and getting into college and doing well on the SATs and being an A++ student. And I think that's a lot of the problem right there. We need to be able to affect the way or influence the way they are developing on a physiological level earlier on in order to negate these negative effects that current cultural factors are bringing on to them. Um, in addition, and then for the ones that are already, you know, in their adolescent years, I think we need to, we need to provide more personal development opportunities for them. We need to provide more programs that are going to allow them to develop this. And we can't, we can't be lenient with it. We can't force them to do certain things, but we can't just say, oh, you don't want to take a PE class, then don't worry about it. We have to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big piece to kind of just reversing the negative effects that the current culture is bringing. Don't get me wrong. The current culture is there's so many good things that technology brings that higher competition for college admission brings. Um, There's so many good things in our society as we know it, but as coaches and educators, we're feeling and students even we're feeling the pressures because of the cultural factors bringing negative effects as well. And you can see that statistically in the mental health of these students. I mean, there's so much research out there that says how much their anxiety is just skyrocketing, has skyrocketed over the past decade or so now. Their depression levels, suicide rates, everything like that is just increasing dramatically. And schools are trying to implement more counseling programs and get them more help. But where's the, where's the positive psychology side of it? We need to do things to reverse these negative effects from the start. And I think it kind of has to, it takes some rewinding, look back in time, look what generations in the past have done differently. And let's start to implement those types of things again. Okay. From just a practicality standpoint, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they're exploring opportunities in sports. And we've had people that do things like sales for minor league hockey teams. And we've had coaches on and athletic directors on and different things like that. And I always like to get the firsthand expertise from the coaches themselves. Like if somebody wants to get into this profession, What do they need to know and what do they need to do to get started? Well, I think if they're looking to get into the coaching profession in this day and age, I think it's important for them to be aware of the differences that this younger, these younger generations have compared to athletes 10, 20, 30 years ago. I think it's important. I think it's so important for them to acknowledge that all of these changes in society, again, are just influencing the way they're developing on a physiological level, on a psychological level, even on a physical and, and really mental level. You know, they don't just go out and play anymore. They don't have some of them. A lot of them don't have just those uh, fundamental motor skills from just going out and playing a pickup soccer game in the backyard because a lot of them are inside on video games all the time um, or sitting on their phone going through social media. It obviously depends on what age group you're looking to coach to. Right. But I think that's one of the most important things. It's education still. If you think about it, it's education still. Coaching is, I think, you know, with all due respect to all teachers, I think it's, they do an amazing job in the classroom, 
But I also think coaches should get just as much credit as teachers because you're teaching them to really apply what they're learning in these classrooms to real life situations. And by real life, I don't mean out in business or anything, but apply that teamwork, apply those geometry concepts on the field, you know, at least in a lacrosse game. So I think they need to be aware that they are teaching this new generation. And if we don't understand who this new generation is, where they're coming from, how they are developing differently than generations in the years past, then what ends up happening from my own experience, as well as um, witnessing it with other coaches, they just become frustrated. And and then the kids become frustrated. And that's never going to create a good, positive, uh, upbeat culture that really... It progresses towards success. It's rather just going to like tear everyone down and burn. It's going to burn apart. So basically, they just need to be aware of who they're teaching and learn the right ways to be able to teach their audience. You have a really unique experience in the sense that you walked into an amazing athletic culture when you were in high school one that had won state championships in the past, one that won state championships while you were a part of the team, one that will win state championships after. So not only are you winning at a high level, but from what you had talked about, you were also very close as a team and you were all really pulling in run one direction and understanding what it took to be successful and to do the things that you set out to accomplish. And then you talked about how, these days, there's not only more distractions when we talk about technology, but there's also more opportunities. There used to be less sports. Now there's more sports. There used to be less extracurriculars in general. Now there's more. So kids have opportunities to do so many more things today. And again, to your point, they're lucky, they're fortunate, and we shouldn't take these opportunities away. But what I'm curious about is since you have that firsthand experience in such a great culture, how do you build it now knowing the challenges that you're up against? Like it's obviously going to be different. And I know you've said you've tried to start take steps towards accomplishing that, but how do we build a culture that is in the way that it was in the past, knowing that we have some more limits and some more distractions that we have to deal with and and just more challenges on a daily basis? That's a great question, Colin. <laughs> um, and it's definitely not easy. You know, this is my own, only my third year in the head coaching position. I was the assistant prior to that. But as I'm going into my third year, our season has just started, just started this past week, actually. And I've been thinking a lot about what I can do differently. And one of the biggest things that we struggle with um, is, again, it's a private school that I work at. And we, you know, we don't have as many numbers as the public school. So there's only so many people coming out for our sport in general. And if we don't have the numbers to practice, you know, if kids, some kids are on a school trip sometimes, some weeks, and then there's an eighth grade trip the first week in March, and then there's kids in Model UN, and then there's kids with, you know, just getting sick on a daily basis and going extra help after school and then tutors and everything you can think of they kind of have an excuse for. And even though they don't mean to, I know a lot of them are committed, but when you have one, two, three kids, four kids saying that one day, then you're low on numbers for practice and commitment levels, I think are huge. So one of the things, some of the things that I'm trying to do a little bit differently this year is really kind of ingrain in their brain, the reason and show them the reasons why commitment for a team sport, especially is so important. Um, you know, our tennis team here, for example, and swimming team are phenomenal. Those are more individual sports, though. They can go to trainers um, outside of practice. They can work out one-on-one with the coaches. They can stay and work by themselves on the court, just one-on-one or in the pool or whatever it is. But that's a lot easier when you have that commitment as an individual versus a team sport. You really need the commitment from everybody to be able to practice plays together, to be able to put concepts and um, things together to be able to actually execute in a game. So in addition to just talking about that more and trying to get them to see the importance of commitment, because I I think that's really one of our biggest things. I also am trying to get them to bond in a little bit different 
of ways. Um, you know, we have, we've, it's always been groups of friends on every team. You have two or three girls that are closer in this group, and then you have another group over here, but they're all on the same team. Um, I think taking the time, we're always so pressed for time at practice, but taking that little bit of time to make sure that those, that interpersonal communication is happening between players and to make sure they're creating a bond or at least starting to form a relationship somehow, some way with players that they aren't as familiar with. I think that's really huge. So what I'll have them do is, you know, typical team practice. You say, okay, everybody take a lap and then do your stretch. What I'll do a lot of the time, at least at the beginning of the season, is I'll have them find a partner or two that they are not familiar with at all, that they barely know. And sometimes I'll give them three questions to be talking about with their partners. Sometimes I'll give them like a concept like today I actually have on the practice plan because we're going to be starting to think about captains this week. I wanted them to be talking about with their unknown partner leadership and what it means to them. And then I'll have them take the lap with that partner and stretch with that partner or two or groups of two or three, whatever it is. But um, they at least start to form somewhat of a bond and just by communicating with each other. Um, they're not able to hide behind their phones when they're being forced to run a lap together. Um, so that's one of the ways. And then in addition to that, I noticed that one of my own critiques on myself is the first two years of being a head coach, I personally felt a lot of pressure to just to win. I'm not really sure why I even felt that pressure. I think, I think it was, I, I do believe it did have a lot to do with parents, but then, you know, just you, as a competitive athlete myself, just, I always, you always feel somewhat pressure to win and to be able to grow your team pretty fast, but you really got to take a step back and like, look at the fundamental piece of what's missing. And as I just explained, I think, learning my audience and kind of getting to know how they're going to better learn the game and get up to speed with it is what I needed to focus on. So rather than being in the past, I was so structured with, okay, you're going to pass to here. You're going to pass to this person. This person's going to pass to this person. And then the ball is going to go here. You're going to cut through. And so of course that's how you have to teach plays to some degree, but what I realized I needed to do a little bit more of this year is let them just play themselves, let them lead themselves, take myself out of it a little bit. Don't give them so much structure right off the bat, at least let them learn how to be able to deceive a defender, bait them one way and then pivot and change speed, change the direction and go the opposite way. You can still go over that with them, but then like do very, keep it simple, do very simple drills to let them be able to experience that for themselves and see how it works for themselves. Um, defensively, you know, getting in their face, communicating nice and loud, how that's going to alter the mentality of the attacker versus just being quiet and not being as much of a presence on the field. So I teach them that, I tell them that, I show them, I demo it, but then I just am letting them play. So the last like 10 minutes of practice each time, what I, at least 10 minutes, I should say, I've just, I don't coach as much. I just let them play, let them really get a feel for everything. Let them see that if they're standing still, they're going to drop the ball. Or if they're standing still, that defender is going to get on them and then they're going to drop the ball or get it checked <laughs> out of their stick or whatever it is. But they're going to learn from their own failures, their own mistake. And I'm trying to hold the upperclassmen a little bit more accountable as well. You know, I think... It's unfortunate that we don't have a lot of room for like leadership type of programs in our K through 12 system. I think that's something else that could be utilized to be able to help all types of leaders like student council. You know, we have a boarding program here. So leaders in the boarding program, we call them prefects, um, as well as varsity team or JV team captains and athletic sport leaders. We need to give them a little bit more or empower them more to be able to lead themselves rather than just the coach dictating everything that they're doing. So those are some of the things that I've done this year. And last year I started to incorporate some of those things as well to be able to get them to just kind of start from the bottom up. Sometimes you really have to take a step back. It's not going to, we're not going to win every single game overnight. So it's about developing a program, just like develop, just like starting a business. It's not going to be a billion dollar business overnight. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes failure. It takes a lot of learning, but I think it takes someone to be open-minded. You can't just, 
you know, be cut through and just one way or the, or the highway, like my way or the highway, you have to be <laughs> able to, um, alter the things you're doing, modify the things you're doing in order to get these people to or get these kids to learn the way they need to learn the way that's going to be the most effective for them. Yes. That was a really great breakdown. There's a few different aspects in there. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this conversation to specifically maybe go back and listen to this part of the conversation again, if you are a coach, because you talked about a few different key points that I think can really help people that may be facing some of the same challenges that you are. And I'd love to get a report (laughs) when the season's over to see how some of these things played out for you and some of the new approaches that you're trying. But I think that you're definitely on the right track with a lot of those things from my point of view, at least. So I'm interested to see what the reception is from the kids and how they react to everything. I'd love to hear about how it all turns out. Yes, definitely. I'll keep you posted. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, if anyone wants to touch base with you, Allie, about any of the talking points of our conversation today, is there a way that they can touch base via via either email, social media, something like that? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, My email is aprimo, A-P-R-I-M-O-2-6 at gmail.com. All right. Beautiful. I will put that email in the show notes. Easy reference for our listening audience. Allie, before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And obviously you have showcased today why you are on the show as a dynamic leader yourself. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out one or two people that have really made a significant impact from a leadership perspective or just influential in general in their own lives. Do you have somebody that you'd want to give a quick shout out to today? Well, of course, my parents, because, you know, I wouldn't be where where I am today without their support all along the way. But then other than that, my husband, he is full of positivity. He's a coach as well himself. He was a college coach, and now he also coaches varsity lacrosse here at the school as well. And he he just embraces positivity all the way. And so he's really helped me get far as well with that. Um in addition to my uh, high school coach, Kathy Taylor, she has just been an amazing influence, as I've been stating for the past hour now, <laughs> um, on my entire life and now my career as well. So shout out to all four of those people. Awesome shout outs and an awesome way to end what's been a super interesting conversation. And I hope that, again, there if there's people listening that are encountering a lot of the same challenges that they've been able to take away at least one or two points of emphasis that you discussed today. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that and just having a good time here on the pod, Allie. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. 